Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Well, guys, this is it. This is the teaser. This is the last piece of the armor of God that we're going to go through before I have one more sermon to close it all up. And we're going to talk today on the sword of the spirit. You ready for that? All right, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Let's read this text. By the time you're done with this text, you'll never want to read it again because we've read it so many times, but praise God for that. All right, verse 10, here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you could take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. As I read that and I think about it a little bit more, I go back to the book of Ephesus and Ephesians and I think for a second that the layout and the context of this book is really interesting. At the end of the book, we get this exhortation about the armor of God, which, which is an amazing exhortation. Most Christians know about it. We, we believe in it. We talk about it. We pray about it. But before we get into this exhortation on spiritual warfare, what what I find mind-boggling is is Paul, throughout chapter 5 and into chapter 6, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about marriage. He's talking about spouses loving each other and submitting to one another. He's talking about children and parents and how that relationship is supposed to go. He's talking about masters and owners and, and slaves and how we're to honor people in places of authority above us. See, what Paul is actually doing, and this is what's so amazing, is Paul is actually linking. He's linking healthy relationships in our home, in our churches, in our workplaces, get this, with spiritual warfare. He's putting them together. He's saying, listen, you can't have the right marriage that you're supposed to be having. You can't live in your singleness the way you're supposed to live. You can't honor your worker and your employer and your your occupation. You, You can't do things unto the glory of God until you understand that there are spiritual forces in heavenly places, that there are things that are trying to knock you out and destroy all of this stuff that God had always made to begin to flourish. And the fact that Paul begins to use a metaphor when he's talking about a soldier and putting on the armor, you gotta understand, this is Paul's way of actually saying that the Christian life And to have these type of healthy, flourishing relationships in your marriages, in your families, in your churches, in your work environments, this is what he's saying. It's a fight. 
It's a fight. And I know when you hear that, everyone says, whoa, I hate hearing that, Pastor Michael. I come to the church and I hear about warfare and I hear about fighting and I hear about these things and, and I don't like those words. But, but here's the truth that nobody ever wants to be honest about. And that's the reality that you are gonna fight through these things whether you're a Christian or not. We're always fighting because we live in a fallen world of sin. The only difference is that when you become a believer, you get all of these incredible resources. You get all of these gifts and all of these places in Christ that now you have at your disposal that you could begin to use in the midst of the fighting. See, putting on the armor of God, I need you to get this, is when we start taking the word we start taking the gospel and we're not just studying it anymore. We're not just talking about it anymore. We're not just agreeing with it anymore, but we're beginning to apply it to our lives. That's what, see, when you start asking the question, if you ask the question, if this is true, whatever truth it is in the Bible, whatever you're studying or whatever the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, but you start asking the question, if this is true, then why am I still living like this? When you make a connection with those two thoughts, you are beginning to put on the armor of God. You're beginning to take up all these articles that God provides for us. And now... We're coming to the last piece of the armor, which is the sword of the spirit, which the Bible says is the word of God, which is weird. Well, why is it weird? Because the first piece of the armor that the Holy Spirit commanded us to put on is the belt of truth. It's also the word of God. It's God saying the first piece of the armor and the last piece of the armor has to be my word. And it's not like God is saying this just to be redundant. He's not saying it just to get a point across. No, no, no. You have to understand, even though these things are the same, I want you to get this, they're used differently in kingdom warfare. See, the belt of truth, the belt of truth is the foundational piece of the armor. You have to put that on before you put anything else on. In fact, if you don't have the belt of truth on, you don't have any other piece that comes with it. You're completely naked out there with the enemy and he is having an absolute field day with you. See, you put on the belt of truth, listen to me. When you finally make the decision, a conscious decision where you say, you know what? I'm gonna believe that this word of God is the final authority in my life. It's the final authority. You begin to put on the belt of truth. See, if you come into the Christian walk and you treat the word of God kind of like a, a buffet where you're picking and choosing the things that you want to trust in and believe and you like and you say, ah, I'm not so sure about that. That goes against modern culture. That goes against modern thought. That goes against where our society is at. When you treat it like that, you don't have the belt of truth on, which means you don't have any other article of the armor on as well. You're completely vulnerable. If you come to church and you say things like, you know what, I agree with and I believe in the love of God. I believe in his forgiveness. I like the idea that he saved me when I was still a sinner, that he died for me on a cross when I, when I was in utter rebellion. Those are all good things. But, but, I don't know if I'm ready just yet to believe in some of the boundaries that God sets up on things. 
I, I don't know if I'm ready to truly trust that when God says that sex has a boundary, that it's only supposed to happen within a covenant of marriage. And then God goes on to define marriage, which I'm not really so sure about, where he says it's between one man and one woman becoming one flesh. Not one man and another man, not another woman and another one. No, no, no. God says one man, one woman. I designed it. I created it. I'm God. I get to call the shots. That's what it is. It's a covenant together where I'm in the midst of it. In that covenant, now I have provided a way for you to enjoy an intimacy unlike anything you could ever imagine, which is sex. Right? When we treat the Bible like that, when you say, I like this, but I don't really want to believe in that, we don't have the belt of truth on. See, when you treat the Bible like that, what you're saying is the scriptures are not entirely trustworthy. And here's the thing. If you can't trust the Bible, how in the world can you apply it to your life? How do you do that? If you're like, you know what? I don't believe in this. I don't trust in that. And then you come and say, I don't believe in this. Well, who who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? The culture gets to decide. Culture changes every 20 or 30 years. Come on. It's always shifting. What we thought was wrong 50 years ago is right now, right? And that's going to change. And that's going to shift. If we're always going off just the modern thought, then how do we ever really apply it? You can't apply it. It doesn't really work. See, the Christian doesn't just follow the Bible, get this, when it agrees with the modern culture. I want you to get this. A Christian follows the Bible even when it offends the modern culture. But here's the thing nobody ever thinks about, and this is the truth. Yes, it is a reality when you make the word of God the final authority in your life that it limits you. It's going to put boundaries up to protect you from things that are wrong and things that are harmful. So you're not going to get to do everything you just want to do. you got to submit it to the word of God. That's how the Christian life works. But this is what nobody thinks about. But at the exact same time, the Bible gives us these incredible promises that we could fully rely on, that give us the ability and the strength and the courage to live a life and to do things that other people just cannot do. See, where we feel like it works in the negative, listen to me, it's also working in the positive. It's doing two things at once. And it's not really the negative when you get to eternity and you realize that these things that you were limited on were really only leading you into deeper depression, deeper isolation, deeper places of fear, deeper attacks from the enemy, that it really was God just trying to protect you all the way. But it does both. It limits and it gives you incredible promises at the exact same time. See, you put the belt of truth on, and this is important, when you decide to embrace God's word as the foundation of your life. This is my foundation. This is how I live. This is how I walk. This is how I interact with the kingdom of God. This is how I interact with the rest of the world. When you make that decision, now you have begun to put on the belt of truth. But the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, listen to me, is something different altogether. It's not the foundation. See, think about it like this, just for a moment. Every single article of the armor that we have talked to up to this point has been for what? It's been for defending yourself against the attacks of the enemy. It's been to shield you and to hold your ground. But the sword of the spirit, I want you to get this, is the one article of all the armor that is not defensive, listen to this, but it is offensive. Offensive. 
It's the only peace that we have that allows us not just to shield ourselves from the enemy, but to take swipes at the enemy. In fact, let me read something to you from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the great preacher at the Westminster pulpit. And he wrote, I think he wrote probably the best commentary on Ephesians. And then his, his best commentary is actually Romans. If you ever want to read a commentary, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on the book of Romans will blow your mind. But let me just read to you what he wrote. And I'll put it up on screen. He says this. He said, one of the points of distinction is that the sword is also an offensive weapon. This constitutes its uniqueness. There are no element of the offensive in any of the other five parts of the whole armor of God, but here there is. The sword serves a dual purpose, defensive and offensive, and it's something whereby we can not only repel the enemy, but also attack him. Ooh, I like that. I don't know about you, but I want the demons and the spiritual forces and the things trying to mess up my life, I want them to leave crying. I don't want them just to leave. I want them to go back to their direct report and say, we're not going back there again. They, they, he took me out. He gave me the black eye. He crushed my skull. Like, I'm not, I'm not going back there. You, give me another assignment. He's not just resisting. He's swiping, right? I, I want that type of testimony. So, so the question then becomes, well, Pastor Michael, how does that exactly work? How, how do we now use it in that way where we don't just resist the enemy, but we can begin to cause him to flee, where we can take the swipes, we can take the shots, See, this is what I learned, and I, I want you to get this. To use the sword of the Spirit, and this is important, it actually means to know the Word of God and its practical implications so well, so well, that you can use it on the spot. On the spot, you can use it. It means to have mastery over God's word. It means to understand some of those truths like salvation, sanctification, walking in the spirit, fruit of the spirit, that you understand what it means, how it applies to you, and how it applies to other believers. How many of you in this room have ever been in the army, been in a branch of military? Just raise your hand. You've been in military. Okay. One of the things they do in basic training is to get you acquainted with your weapon, right? They want you to tear that weapon down and put that weapon back together over and over and over and over and over again so that when you get out into the field, when you get out into a battle, you know how that thing works. If it gets jammed, you know how to clean it. If you lose something, you know how to replace it, right? That is the whole point. And that's what the sword of the spirit is that you know this word. You know its practical implications so well that you can use it at the moment that you actually need it. Let, let me give you an example. I, I've been studying, I go through books of the Bible. I, my prayer time and my reading time is I go to the front of my concordance and I read through the Bible at least once a year. But what I do is I just pray and I pick a book that I feel like I need in that season. Sometimes I just need to learn more about the teachings of Jesus. I'll pick a gospel. Sometimes I feel like I just need wisdom, so I'll just pick Proverbs. Sometimes I feel like, man, I just, I just need to hear faith again. I need to be built up in faith, and I'm gonna go to Genesis, and I'll read through and, and touch on Abraham, and Joseph, or whatever. I just pick books, and when I pick a book, I read it from the first chapter five chapters a day all the way to the end. That's how I read through the Bible. That's what I do. And I've been in the book of Acts over the last two weeks. And I came to this passage just the other day as I'm putting this word together. And I start thinking in my mind, this is it. This is how you use the sword of the spirit. Ever read through a passage and you've read it so many times and you never really noticed a key or an element or something that it was showing you? I was reading through it. And I was like, this, this is how it actually is supposed to happen. This is how it all comes together. 
In fact, do this. I'm going to put it up on the screen, but let me read it to you. Let me read Acts chapter 22, verse 30, and then I'm going to jump down to chapter 23, and I'm going to read through verses 1 through 5. Let me show you this. You got to pay attention or you'll miss it. Ready? Starting in 2230, it says this. This is Paul coming back to Jerusalem. They just arrested him in the temple. They were going to literally tear the dude apart, right? The Roman centurion comes down, rescues him, puts him in the barracks, and then later on takes him out of the barracks because he wants him to face the Sanhedrin, the rest of the Jews, to figure out what is going on. And watch what happens. Verse 30 says, the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Now notice what it says. It says he ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Now Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God and all good conscience to this day. At this the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Now watch this. Those who are sta standing near Paul, they, they literally stand, they go, whoa. They say, how dare you insult God's high priest? Now watch what Paul does. Paul replied, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. You know what I love about these verses I just read to you? You know why they make me feel so warm and fuzzy inside? It's because this is Paul blowing it. This is Paul making a royal mess. And I don't know about you, but when I look at the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, knowing that he blew it sometimes makes me feel a little bit better about my own walk with God. Right? Think about this for a second. Paul writes in the book of Romans that the whole reason that he went out into Asia and he planted all these churches and he preached the gospel to Gentiles and he went through shipwrecks and he went through prisons and beatings and, and stonings. He said the whole reason that he did it was that in the hopes of spreading the gospel to the Gentiles, he would make his own people, the Jews, jealous. He, he was hoping that the Gentiles would get so on fire for God and they'd have such a touch of the Holy Spirit that the Jews, literally, their eyes would be open and say, we want what they got. We recognize that, that there's something real there. Maybe Jesus really is the Messiah. And Paul takes it even further than that. This is what Paul says. He says, if there's a way that I can exchange my salvation, if there's a way where I could be cut off for all of eternity from God, where I'd be under his wrath and damnation, but in an exchange, in a trade, all my countrymen could be saved. You know what Paul says? He says, I'll do it in a heartbeat. Whoa, whoa. And then think about this. This is God, listen to me, answering the desire of this man's heart. After years of traveling, years of speaking to Gentiles, going and planting all these churches, God brings them all the way back to Jerusalem. But God doesn't just bring them back to Jerusalem. God allows a spat to go on in the temple. And you know what he does? He gets Paul arrested by the Roman centurion. And then the Roman centurion, this is amazing. He orders, he makes the whole Sanhedrin come and listen to Paul. Okay, if these guys get saved 
everybody that's a Jew gets saved. These are the heavyweights. These are the ones everybody's looking to. These are the men that Paul possibly even grew up under and studied under. These are the men throughout the evenings when he was shipwrecked or in prison, he's praying for on his knees. And now, now God gives him the opportunity. He says, Paul, now you got it. Open your mouth and share the gospel. Open. You have cried out for this opportunity and I'm giving it to you right now. And Paul begins to open up his mouth and suddenly the high priest says, strike him. Somebody strikes him across the cheek, and, and I want you to get this, and that is the straw that breaks the camel's back. All of the frustration, all of the anger, all of the rejection begins to bubble up in Paul. All of the exhaustion from all the spiritual attacks, mentally, physically, spiritually, it all begins to come out. And what does Paul do? He says, dude, you call that guy to strike me on my cheek? <laughs> He says, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. I uh, know in our modern day vocabulary, like whitewashed wall is like, mm, that's a, Paul, can you come up with something better? That's not even like, it's not even insulting. But back then, back then, especially in those times, especially in the Jewish history and in the temple times, and those, you call someone a whitewashed wall, that, that's like ending the argument with your mama so fat. That's like the insult of insult. That's like, like when you say it, people stand back and go, whoa, like you took this to a whole nother level. This was insulting, but we were all doing well. Like, like, but you brought this to something that you shouldn't have brought it to. That's exactly what Paul does. Paul, I want you to get this, he is losing it. And the enemy is having a field day. That's what's happening. And you know what's amazing? This is what I love. The guy that's standing next to him goes, whoa. And he looks at Paul, he says, yo, man. <laughs> he looks at him, he says, do you know who you're talking to? He's like, that's the high priest. And then this, this is the part that I need you to get. I need you to understand. How does Paul respond? How does he respond? Paul reaches down through the grace of the Holy Spirit into his heart, and he pulls out the sword of the Spirit. He pulls out the word of God. Listen to what he says. Brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Paul pulls out a for it is written to begin to fight against his lack of self-control and against the enemy's attacks. Because you got to believe that the enemy is there stirring up the trouble. He doesn't want them to be able to hear the gospel. So here's my question. I want you to get this. Okay. Do you think Paul would have had the power or the ability to cut through, to break through the anger and the agitations of the enemy just through the people around him trying to correct his behavior? Just that one guy who looks at him and says, whoa, do you realize what you're saying? Do you realize who you're talking to? Do you realize what you just did? Do you think that would have been enough to stop all the agitation of the enemy, all the attacks that have culminated up to this point, the exhaustion, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the frustrations, the rejection, everything he's dealing with. Do you think that would have had a power in and of itself to be able to break through all of that? No way. No way. Paul only won the battle, get this, because he had the word of God so deep in his heart. He had soaked on this word. He had read through this word. He studied through this word. 
Listen to me, it wasn't all peaches. It wasn't like Paul was just always getting revelations. If he was, I hate him more. And I can't wait to get to heaven, put him in a headlock. Like, I, honestly, he didn't always get revelations. He, he didn't, how in the world could he speak so prolifically about the love of God going missing and not worrying, neither depth nor height? Nor, he went through seasons like that, right? So Paul, despite all of that, wilderness experiences, whatever he's going through, he's studying this word. He's soaking it in. He's putting it into his heart. And then the Holy Spirit comes at the moment that it is needed, reaches down through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and begins to pull out the exact word that he needs and begins to apply it to the exact situation where it breaks through all the anger. It begins to bring him back into a place of self-control. It begins not to just resist the enemy, but even takes a swipe at him and causes him to flee. Do you realize how much authority and power is in this book? When Jesus, the, the famous passage of him being tempted, he comes out of the baptism, he gets led by the Spirit, He's in the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights. He didn't eat a single thing. Listen to me, that's enough to break me right there. You know, I don't need the devil at that point. I'm already cursing God. If I don't get to eat 40 days or 40 nights, and I know some of you have done those types of fasts, and those types, you're just freaks. You're weird in the spiritual kingdom of God. I don't do those types of things. But he's exhausted. He's beyond exhausted. He's carrying this flesh, and, this, and Satan shows up in the, in the flesh. He comes face to face. And he comes under some of the most demonic temptations. He comes under suicide. And I know people don't believe that, but it's true. Satan was interjecting into his thought life to jump off the top of the temple. Jesus knows what that is. He was tempted with that. He goes through all of these temptations. And then each time, do you know how Jesus not only resists the enemy, but begins to actually take swipe at him? You know what he does? And this blows my mind. He doesn't just rebuke Satan and say, like, I'm God, you got to get out of here. He doesn't do, like, lightning bolts from his fingertips, like, Shh, yeah, like, none of that happens. None of it. Right? You know what he does? He says, it is written three times. It is written. It is written. It is written. And you know what boggles my mind? You know where Jesus is quoting those it is written? It's all from one book in the Bible. You know where he's quoting it from? Get this? I wish it was Psalms. Psalms would make me really excited. It's Deuteronomy. Who is reading Deuteronomy? Nobody reads that book. Everybody skips over it. And you know what God is showing us? He's saying even in the books that make you fall asleep, even in the books where they confuse you out of your mind, you don't always know exactly what's going on, even in the books where you feel like you're a wilderness saying, is there anything in here that would bring me hope? If you read those books and you put them in your heart, listen to me, they have enough power, get this, to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with seeing himself. And not just resist him, but take a swipe and make him flee. We as Christians sometimes, I don't think we understand the authority that are in these words. Do you study the Bible? Do you read it daily? Do you put it in your heart and screw it down so tight that it starts bringing flames of fire up into your soul? Do you do that? Do you go to community groups and discuss the word and talk about it with other people? 
and fill yourself with it. You know, you might even forget things of the scripture. You might not even remember some of the stuff that you read, but there's a day when you're going to come under attack and the Holy Spirit is going to come and the Holy Ghost is going to reach down in the heart and he's going to grab something that you didn't even know was there and he's going to pull it out. He's going to pull a verse, bring it back to memory, and it's going to carry a weight. It's going to carry an authority that's going to begin to break through in the situation. I have seen it time and time again, especially when I'm counseling. I'll be sitting with somebody and suddenly the Holy Spirit will bring something up in my heart. It'll be a scripture and I speak it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and there's a power. I just went two hours trying to get them to see something. They can't see any of it. But one verse, one verse inspired by the word of God breaks through and they're on their face crying before the Lord. Okay, last point and then we're going to close. Notice That's called the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Which means two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of Paul, is making it clear that this is not just a man-made book. This is not a bunch of guys that just got together and wrote some stories or some historical events. The Bible itself testifies to the truth that every word that is in this canon of scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of this book. The men were just the pens. They were the tools that the Holy Spirit used to write it all out, which means, listen to me, this book is different than any other book. It is different than Christian books. And I'm not saying don't read Christian books. I love Christian books. I read commentaries. But if all you're ever reading are Christian books or all you're ever listening to is Christian radio or Christian TV and you're not in here, let me tell you something. You don't have the power you think you have because it's in this book. All of that's supposed to point back here. This is where you're supposed to be. This is where you're supposed to study. And let me, let me just say this, just a caveat. Is it confusing? Does it sometimes feel like I don't understand? Of course. When I went to Bible school, listen, I came out of New York City. I was into photography. I was into rock and roll. I, I sat with these guys who'd been homeschooled their whole lives under the word. They literally went out and played with the tabernacle every single day. I didn't, I didn't grow up with a tabernacle. I grew up with G.I. Joe. And I'm looking at these people and I'm thinking in my mind, will I ever know the word like them? They could quote it like this they could quote and I said it's I said this out of my own mouth it's impossible I'll never know the word and I felt like the Lord just speak to me so clearly as I was walking back to my door in my Bible he says you stay here and you read that book every single day for three years you will know it better than them and you know what's amazing they call me with questions on the Bible now I'm not saying that pridefully I'm not saying it arrogantly. I'm saying, listen, if you stick in it, God will open it up to you in ways that you could never imagine. God will teach you. God will grow. And he'll put people in your path and programs and others that will help you teach the word of God. First off, it's called the sword of the spirit because it's inspired by the Holy Ghost. But it also means, and I need you to get this, that the word, the sword, doesn't work by knowledge alone. See, I know a lot of denominations and people that think just by reading the word and just by putting it up in their kitchen with different verses and just quoting it to different people that that will be enough to be able to advance the kingdom of God. And here's the truth. It's not. It's the sword of the spirit, which means there has to be a relationship between the word and the spirit. If all you do is quote the word and you have no relationship with the Holy Spirit, all you're doing is quoting a dead letter. 
that puts yoke and death on people's necks. The only thing that makes it alive is the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to take this word and make it revelatory into our lives. Yes, you have to read it. Yes, you have to study it. Yes, you have to put it in your heart. But then, listen to me, you have to have a sensitivity inside of your heart to be able to be prompted and moved by the Holy Ghost to be able to use it the way he wants to use it. And you might be saying, well, Pastor Michael, how do you do that? How, how do you get that type of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, that type of connectiveness, that type of relationship where you're not just quoting off Bible verses that are dead letters, but they're inspired words, they're timely words, they're right words, because he's there prompting with his life and bringing those things out. How does that actually work? Well, you create that sensitivity, and I want you to listen to me. You create it through, ready? Prayer. It's prayer. When you take time every day to adore God, when you take time just to praise him, to worship him, when you take time to bring all of your requests and your intercession before him, and you're doing, you spend 20 minutes a day or you take walks every day and you're in the process, you know what that begins to do? That begins to circumcise your heart more and more to the spirit of God. It begins to bring a union in you with the Holy Ghost. And now when you're walking, you're in counseling or you're walking down the street and something's going on at work and everything's a mess or something's happening with a child that's so far from the Lord and you feel like you want to give up all hope or you're dealing with suicidal thoughts, now the Holy Spirit comes through those treasures that you have put into your heart through the word and he begins to inspire them. He begins to prompt them in ways and you're so sensitive because there's been such a touch, such a relationship with him that suddenly, suddenly those things carry such a weight and a power that they break these things right off of your neck or they give you the strength to carry on until you see the victory when God sees fit. See, I tell people all the time, this is why I tell them. Your word life is supposed to inform your prayer life. See, when we read the stories of these normal people that walked in faith with God and we see how God broke through, it's supposed to inspire our hearts. It's supposed to build up faith inside us. When we read through the Psalms and we read other people's prayers, when we read through the apostolic prayers, Ephesians chapter one and the others of how, how the apostles were praying over the different churches, you know what that begins to do? It begins to build our faith and give us a prayer language to go before the throne of God ourselves. Have you ever prayed through the scriptures? Have you ever prayed through Psalms? Have you ever taken the language of somebody else's prayer and used it for yourself? This is what it's supposed to be doing. But listen to me. But then our prayer life is supposed to inform our word life. It is circular, not linear. Which means now that we're praying, we're bringing these things before God, there comes a sensitivity in our heart where the Holy Spirit can spark them with life. And he takes the word with the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and he begins to use it in a way where it doesn't just resist the enemy, it doesn't just stop the enemy, but it takes swipe at him and causes him to flee. That was the enemy leaving, don't worry. He knows what's up. Guys, I want to close with just a thought. Do you know why we're going through the armor of God together? I don't think we've ever experienced the type of spiritual battle in this generation that we are in right now. 
And I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. People don't like when I be honest. People come here and say, Pastor Michael, I'm leaving the church because sometimes you just say it too much as it is. But I'm gonna be straight with you. It ain't changing. It is gonna get tougher. But with that said, God has already given us the resources for victory. It's nothing to be afraid of. You don't have to walk away scared, but you have to begin to put the resources on now. I said this before. You know what I love about Paul when he says, put on the full armor of God? And then he says this. He says, you will stand. He doesn't say, hey, there's a good shot. You might be standing when this is all done. Hey, maybe you get through this. He's completely emphatic. No, no, no. You put this on and you are going to stand. You're going to be there when the bridegroom comes back. You are going to be standing without spot, without wrinkle. That's what Paul is trying to say. That's what he's getting at. But I say that with a sobriety in my heart as well. We have to begin to put it on. From the word this morning, we can't treat God the way that we have been treating him over the last couple years. We can't treat him as if he's just this teddy bear in a corner alone that we just go get when we need some type of hug. I love that part of him. But we got to see there's so much more to God, so much more to his word. The reality that we're warriors, the reality that we're soldiers, the reality that we're fighting, those things have to become the forefront of our Christian journey as well. And there's no place anymore to say, you know what, I'll come Sunday morning and I'll hear a word from Pastor Michael. That'll be enough to get me through the week. Ah, ah, ah anymore. No. I lived in New York City in 2002, five, around those years. I'll never forget Pastor David Wilkerson at the pulpit. I sat under him. He said this. He says, you better be under this pulpit at least two times a week or you ain't making it with the spirits that are out here in this city. He was saying, you better be under the word more than one time a week. You You better get yourself grounded because it's serious now. And that's my heart for you. It's, it's this place of saying, guys, there's no option of I'll read the Bible sporadically when I feel up to it. You gotta make the disciplined time in your life now. Two chapters a day reading through the word. You gotta make the time to start calling on the Holy Spirit to cultivate prayer, to create a prayer language with him. You gotta start doing it. Because listen to me, your faith is gonna depend on it, the church's faith is gonna depend, and your children are gonna depend on it as well. Because the first place the enemy is going ain't gonna be you. You know where he's going? The children. They're the the sheep that are lagging behind. They're the weaker ones. And a wolf never attacks the herd. The wolf attacks the sheep that aren't catching up to the herd. Stand with me, Springs Church. Let me close. With just a prayer and in altar time. We talked a lot about about the word, but when I was in worship, the Lord put on my heart, and this is what I felt deeply on my heart. There are a lot of people in this place who might even be reading the word, but listen to me, you're neglecting the Holy Spirit. It's gotta be both. And there's some in this room, you've been touched by the Holy Spirit in the past, or maybe you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost but you may have had a touch or whatever it is and God has given you giftings and you prayed to the Holy Spirit, you talked to the Holy Spirit, you walked with the Holy Spirit, but lately that has died down. You don't don't seek the Holy Spirit the way that you used to. And this is the scripture God put on my heart for us. It's Luke chapter 13. And Jesus says this. Was it 13 or 11? thought it was 13. 
and I lost it. But Jesus, I know it from my heart, so it doesn't matter. He says this. He says, you who are evil, who know how to give good gifts. He says, if, if, if your son came to you, asked for a fish, would you give him a, uh, what was it, a snake? If he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? He says, if you are evil, know how to give good gifts, then, then how about your father in heaven would give you the Holy Spirit if you asked for it? And you know what's amazing about the fact that Jesus brings up fish and eggs? Notice he doesn't say meat. He doesn't say, hey, if your son comes to you, ask for a flaming yawn, you give him a piece of meat. Do you want to know why he never used the word meat? Because meat, I want you to get this, in Bible times was a luxury. Not everybody got meat. You got it once in a while, you got it at a sacrifice at the temple, whatever it was, but you didn't always have meat. But you know what was the staple of the day, the food that everybody ate every single day? Eggs and fish. Do you know what Jesus is saying? The Holy Spirit is not an option. He is not a luxury. You know, sometimes we think the Holy Spirit makes me do the weird things, like prophesy, speak in tongues, and do all these things, which are awesome things. He does all this. But, but the reality is, in my normal day, that's just me kind of on cruise control. God says, no, 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 no. That's not what the Holy Spirit is. He is not a luxury. Listen to me. He needs to be a staple. You can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. And there's people in this room that have neglected that. And you know what God wants to do? He wants to just give a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's what he put on my heart today. A fresh baptism to fill you with his power. Jesus says this, but you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, right? To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That word power in the original Greek is the word dunamis, which is where we get our word for dynamite. Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to give you power. He says, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you power like you've never seen, like you've never known. And you need it every single day of your life. And then he says this. He says, then you're going to be my witnesses. Do you know what that word witness is in the Greek? It's where we get our word martyr. Martyr. Do you know what Jesus is saying? I'm going to send Holy Ghost power, dynamite power, and I get this, and I'm going to kill you. You're going to be my witness. How many of you have areas in your life you just wish would die? Just places in your heart that will not yield to God. Places in your heart that just won't believe God. God says, I'm going to send the power. And I get this. I'm not even asking you to put those areas to death in your life. I will put them to death through my Holy Spirit. And if you're in a place today and say, Pastor Michael, I need that touch. I need a fresh baptism. I want you to come forward. We're going to pray for you today. Come forward. Don't even wait. Say, I need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh touch of the Holy Ghost. I need dunamis power. I need to become a martyr. I need God to put some things to death in my heart and my life that I cannot put down. I need it as a staple in my life. I recognize I need the Holy Spirit. He's not a luxury. He is a staple. I want you to come down. I want you to spread out. And then this is what I want you to do. Remember, the scripture says it's very easy, very clear. He says, if you are evil, know how to give good gifts, then, then, your Father in heaven, how much more would your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So just ask. Ask me for the Holy Ghost and I will give it to you. I will give it to you. We're going to have a chorus of worship and right where you're at, I want you to begin just to ask, Holy Spirit, fall on me. Give it. Now listen, last thing, last thing, and this is an important part. This is one little caveat and I can't get into the scriptures or get there. 
Sometimes before the Holy Spirit falls, he's got to empty you before he begins to fill you. Do you understand? So what the Holy Spirit will do is sometimes he will point out areas of jealousy, anger, bitterness, hatred, sin that doesn't belong in your heart. And when you confess that to God and you begin to repent of that, you empty that out of your spirit. The Spirit of God now has room to begin to fill you. So if the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, don't be afraid of that. Confess that. Repent of that and allow him to begin to fill you now. Amen. Amen. Let's just worship. One song of worship. Those are in your seats. You just lift your hands to God and then let's pray together for a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.